I was raised in church my whole life. Uh, my mom and dad took me since I was a, a little boy. And uh, I'd never known a time in my life when I did not believe in Jesus. I've never gone through, this is by the grace of God, and, and, and it's not the same with everybody, but I've never gone through a period in my life of uh, severe doubt <laughs> that God loved me, that there was a God. I was raised in, the, in Sunday school as a little boy with the teachers who loved me, and uh, the church is my family. This church is my family. Uh, it's a beautiful and wonderful thing. Chuck Colson, the great uh, founder of uh, ministries and, uh, and writer of books who passed away recently, wrote this about the church. He said, the church is more than simply a collection of people. It is a new community. But modern Christians sometimes see the Christian faith primarily, if not exclusively, as the gospel of Jesus and me. With many people, Christianity is simply a personal relationship with Jesus. Accept Jesus into your heart. You'll be saved. And that's true as far as it goes, but it falls woefully short. Because although we are justified through our faith, Christianity is much more than a private transaction with Jesus. When Peter made his confession, the one I read earlier, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus did not say, good, Peter, you're now saved and you'll have an abundant life. Be at peace. Go home and live that out all by yourself. What he did was at that moment, he announced the church, the church. And established a divinely ordained pattern. When we confess Christ as Savior, God's response is to bring us into His church. We become part of His people. We become followers of Christ. We also become members of His church. And our commitment to the church is indistinguishable from our commitment to Him. Now that idea is a foreign concept to many people uh, in the Western world, that our commitment to Jesus is indistinguishable from our commitment to His family and to His people. Many see that they're created for a relationship with Jesus, but miss the idea that they're also created for a relationship with the people of Jesus. But people miss that. George Gallup did a survey one time, and he asked people throughout America, what church do you attend? And one particular man said this. His answer was, I am my own church, he said. And I'm sure that he thought he was. But he's not alone in that misunderstanding. There are 23 million Americans who say they believe in Jesus but have no connection whatever to other Christians who believe in Jesus. Not involved in a church, not interested in a church. They are their own church, they say, who pray by themselves, <laughs> I guess worship by themselves, um, and they're all alone in that. And they're missing the point, one of the points, why they were created. We were created for spiritual family. 
The Greek word for church is the word ecclesia. Ecclesia. When Jesus told Peter, uh, you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church, the word Jesus chose to use was this Greek word ecclesia. And it wasn't the first time that that word was ever used. It had been used quite often up to that moment. And ecclesia was this. In a village or a town, a lot of people lived. But when there was a big decision that had to be made, there was enemies coming to attack, there was a famine coming, there was a decision that had to be made, a call went out in the village that everybody who is a leader, everybody who uh, wants to help, everybody who, who uh, has a passion for loving one another, come to the city gates and we'll gather there and make a decision together to do something to help other people. That gathering was called the Ecclesia. Everyone knew what an Ecclesia was. So Jesus decides the church is going to be built, I'm going to build it, and he uses that term Ecclesia. And the image is profound. It's people who are just a part of this world, who are called out of the world. There's there's a cause, there's a need, there's a purpose, there's a, a people. They're called out and they gather together to accomplish God's purposes and to love one another. We are the ecclesia, the called out ones from the world. And the early church got this. They got that we weren't primarily a corporation or an institution. We were a family, a community of called out people. And when you read the book of Acts, you can see they really, really did get it. They loved one another. They shared life together. They hurt one another. They forgave one another. All the things that families do with one another. They fulfilled the purpose that God created them for, and that was for a spiritual family. Now, the Greek word that we translate in our Bible, fellowship. You've heard the term fellowship, where we, you know, we have fellowship with one another. The Greek word that we translate fellowship is the word Kononia. We're going to learn a lot of Greek today. It's the word kononia. And I wanted to put that there because when we read fellowship, sometimes we think, well, fellowship, what's that? Well, that's where we, uh, we sit around and, uh, and drink coffee together, or that's where we say hi and we hang out with one another. We had fellowship, or we have a little time after the service for fellowship. But the word that we translate fellowship means so much more than that. Kononia means participating. It means being involved. It means, hey, what's going on? I'm doing it with you guys. Hey, we're together. Is there an event we're all doing? Come on, man, I'm going to be there. I'm, I'm going to be a part of it. I'm participating. I'm, I'm serving. I'm volunteering. It means partnering. It means we're accomplishing some kind of purpose. I'm partnering with it. I'm doing my part with it. I'm, I'm connected to it. Uh, it's relationship. Man, we are brothers and sisters. So fellowship is more than a few moments and talking. It's kononia. It's relationship. It's commitment. It's partnership. It's all of that. It's really being involved in your church family. Now, it's possible, is it not, to attend a church and never experience kononia. 
Is it not? It is. It is possible to go to a church, look at the back of someone's head on Sunday morning, maybe uh, see the band sing in the front, do a little shaking of the guy's hand next to you, and then go home. Lonely, isolated, not really knowing other people, afraid to call somebody during the week who might care uh, because you don't think anybody cares. Maybe not even knowing someone's phone number you can call during the week. It's possible to attend church and still be isolated. But it's also possible, and I'll just speak out of experience, to find Konania. This beautiful, committed relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And that turns the whole thing around. You know, the church is not a business. We are not. But if we were a business, I have thought about this before, what would be our product? What is it that we can offer to the world? And as I melted it down, really the only product we have is Kononia is relationships. You come to church, what will you find? How to have a relationship with Jesus. We know how to do that. It's through grace and faith, and we can introduce you to that. And second, you can find relationships with us. You're a part, man. We'll include you. You'll be loved, and we'll find Kononia together. And if you think, is that the product? Would anybody want that? That's the one thing that every human in the world longs for is Konania, especially now in the world we live in. Harvard professor Robert Putnam wrote a book called Bowling Alone. And he, he named the book Bowling Alone because he discovered that for the first time in American history, more people are bowling alone than bowl in leagues or bowl on teams. They just go by themselves and bowl. They're not connected to any other people who are involved in bowling. And the book represented the largest study ever conducted and documented in America on the subject of community, on family, spiritual family, on commitment, on relationships. And he said this, In the past 25 years, American society has experienced a steady decline in what sociologists call social capital, which means a sense of connectedness and community. The level of community in America is at, is at its lowest point ever, said Robert Putnam. Loneliness, therefore, could be one of the biggest challenges people in our country face. Did you notice that COVID kind of kicked that in a little bit too? Uh, loneliness, being alone, feeling disconnected from other people. Millions of Americans are getting lots accomplished without connecting, really deeply connecting with others. Again, George Gallup in one poll concluded that Americans are among the loneliest people in the world. But here's the interesting part. No one admits that they're lonely. Admitting you're lonely is, is very embarrassing for most people to do. Mother Teresa once said, loneliness is the leprosy of modern society. And no one wants to admit they're a leper. 
I mean, if I admit I'm lonely, then there's something wrong with me. Uh, uh, people don't like me. Uh, 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 you know, I'm not, no, I, I'm not lonely. But when you get people by themselves and really talk about it, you see it's real. And it's real in this room. I think there might be some in this room who have that same feeling. I know there's folks at home that have that same feeling as well. What can we do about it? What did Jesus want us to do about people experiencing this leprosy of loneliness? They asked a little eight-year-old girl one time. Her name was Kalani. They said, Kalani, what can we do to help people who are lonely? This little eight-year-old girl, I loved her answer. She was brilliant. She said this about people who are lonely. Well, people should find lonely people and ask them their name and address. Then they should ask people who aren't lonely their name and address. This is brilliant. When you have an even amount of each, assign the lonely people to the non-lonely people and put them their names together in the newspaper so they can read, okay, I'm with this person and I'll go call them and they're lonely, but I'm not. I like it. At least she's trying to solve a problem that we all can experience. The early church had a way to deal with it that was extremely brilliant, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And their way of solving this leprosy of loneliness to give people a sense that you have a spiritual family a real sense that you have a spiritual family is also in a uh, greek word i'm really doing the greek words today they used something called philonexia philonexia it was the way that Christians in the early church went from being isolated and alone to finding kononia with one another. It's a fascinating word. And I'm going to let you guess in a moment how we translate this word in the New Testament. But it's two different words put together. Philo means love. Love. Nexia is the word for stranger. It's the word for someone who's alone, someone who doesn't really know other people. So these two words together means love of people who are alone, the love of strangers, loving new people, loving isolated people, the act of doing that. Guess how we translate that word in the New Testament? Anybody want to give a, a chance at it? Good try. Very good try. Give me another one. The love of strangers. What's the love of strangers? How would, how would you translate that word, love of strangers? Loving strangers. Hospitality. Isn't that fascinating? That, that's the word that when the, the translator sat down, how am I going to translate love of strangers? Well, that's hospitality. But when you hear the word hospitality, it doesn't express it completely, does it? Hospitality, well, I had them over and said hi. No, no, it's more than that. It's loving people. It's the love of people who are alone and isolated. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality, philonexia, love, 
to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. The Holy Spirit is the one who produces kononia. But when we show philonexia, he is able to connect us in true love and fellowship with one another. You can't have kononia until you start with philonexia. I can't, Dustin, you and I can't become brothers in Christ if I never talk to you. We can't become that if we never see each other. Um, how's any of that going to happen if we don't philonexia one another? How, how are we going to do this? So you might wonder why once a month we have small group Sunday. Well, I'll tell you why. So we can get some philonexia happening. And it can lead to some great kononia. So let me challenge you. Take a risk. If you're the kind of person that as soon as this meeting is over, you're saying, whew, I'm getting out of here before I have to actually meet anybody, talk to anybody, uh, learn anybody's name, let them know my name. Uh, 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 let me give you a challenge. Don't bowl alone. This is the safest way to start some kononia. It's the safest way. You're in a group with a leader. Hi, my name is. I mean, it's the safest way. But if you end with this, Konani is never achieved. This is just a start. This has to lead to calling one another outside of Sunday mornings. It has to lead to being together in other formats, taking vacations with, you know, together, uh, going out to lunch together. Uh, I don't know what it would lead to. But it has to lead to more to get into the realm of Konania. So, I want to ask you a question. Well, I guess I want to ask one and answer it. How do you know if you've really found this Konania? How do you know if Phytonexia has worked long enough in the power of the Holy Spirit to produce real Konania? How do you know that? Because uh, you got to have a goal to achieve and to know that I even got there. Well, you know you've reached this place of kononia when you experience something that a man named Itai experienced many years ago in, a, in the Old Testament. Kononia leads to close, loyal friendships with others as illustrated in the life of David and Itai. So I'm going to end this part of our talk together by telling you the story of Itai. First of all, let me do a survey. How many have ever even heard of a man named Itai? Would you raise your hand? No one in this room has ever heard of a man named Itai. How many have heard of David, King David? Okay, all right, all right. So, Itai, you've never heard of. David, you have. But their two lives were intertwined at one point. And I want to read you the story of it. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 15. David, you know David, the young man, the shepherd, the, the psalmist of Israel, the slayer of Goliath, now the king of all Israel, has been on top of the world. 
in a way that you and I probably never will. I mean, he's getting to be the king of all of God's people. That's pretty good stuff. He's writing psalms in the Bible. I've never done that. He's known what it's like to be on the very top of life, but as we pick up the account in 2 Samuel 15, he's finding out what it's like to be on the very bottom of life. What's happened? His little boy, whose name was Absalom, has grown up to be a man. And through a series of things, some David's fault, some perhaps not, the relationship between David and his son Absalom had become, has become very strained to the point where Absalom hates his father. How much does he hate him? He wants to kill his dad and steal his father's kingdom away from him. Now, you got to hate somebody to want to do that, but he does. And behind the scenes, he's been gathering people to rebel against David. David hears that this is going on. And in 2 Samuel 15, verse 13, it says this. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. David, it's over. Israel is going to rebel against you. Absalom's going to lead a coup d'etat. They're going to come in in a few moments. They're going to murder you. They're going to take away your kingdom. It's over. Everything you've dreamed of and, and, and held on to and were a part of and all that you thought, it's over. Your son is coming. You're going to be killed. The people have turned against you. Can you imagine a lower moment? In your life? I mean, it's one thing if a stranger is going to do this to me, my son. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. I know my boy. We have no chance against him. We got to get out of here. We must leave immediately or he will come quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon us and put the city to the sword. So the king's officials answered him, your servants are ready to do whatever our Lord the king chooses. There's some Konania there. I've got a whole nation turning against me, but not everybody. You're going to go with me? It says, his officials said, hey, I'm with you, man. If you're going to have to leave this place, I'm going with you. You're not alone in this. You're not alone. We were with you when you were on top. We'll be with you now. So the king set out and all his people following him, and they halted at a place some distance away. And all the men marched past him along with the Kirathites and the Pelathites, and 600 Gittites who had accompanied him from Gath marched before the king. And then the king said to Ittai, there he is, underline his name. The king said to Ittai the Gittite, why are you coming along with us? Go back and stay with King Absalom, the new king, the de facto king. For you are a foreigner. An exile from your homeland. You came only yesterday. <laughs> and today, should I make you wander with us when I do not know where I am going? Go back. Take your countrymen, those 600 men who came with you. Make kindness 
and faithfulness be with you. David's marching outside the city with all of his men. He'd been used to marching into the city in triumph with trumpets. But now he's marching out in shame with his head down, not knowing where he's going, not knowing how long he's going to live. Can you imagine the fears in his mind? What's going to happen? What's my future look like? And then he looks up and sees a guy, Ittai. Troy, it would be like looking up and seeing you. Because, here's the analogy, because he hasn't been there that long. It hasn't been like, you know, you were here eight years ago. It's not like that. He looks up at Ittai. He only came a little while ago. There wasn't a huge relationship going back 30 years. And he says to him, I want to free you from feeling you have to do this with me. I got nothing to offer you, man. If you had come when I'd been on top then, then, and you were loyal to me, I could have given you like a, a, an ambassadorship to, uh, to some place. But, but there's nothing now. Man, it's, it, there's nothing now. If you go with me, you'll probably die out in the wilderness, starved to death like I am. So I want to free you from any sense that, that you have to be loyal and faithful and connected. Take care of yourself. Look out for you. It's okay. And here's what Ittai said to him. This is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. But Ittai answered the king and he said this, As the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, and wherever the Lord my king shall be, whether in life or death, there your servant will be. David you don't understand something. Yeah, I didn't come that long ago. Yeah, actually, I'm not even an Israelite. I'm a, I'm a descendant of some people that were related to Goliath, of all people, uh, and, and, and all of that. But David, you can't see what's happened to me in here. In here. I have kononia with you. You're my brother. We are connected to one another. And you're never going to go through this alone. I'm with you, man. I'm with you, man. And, and if you're going to die, I'm going to die. And not only that, my whole family's coming with me. God has done something invisible inside of my heart. That's what Konania looks like. That's what it looks like. In its most beautiful sense, carried to where God wants us to carry it. Barry, you are my brother. You and I have been through this thing for a long time. Barry and I were here when we planted this church together. Was it eight years ago? I think so. And we have been... You've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly in me. I've seen nothing but good in you. But God has done this kononia. And Troy, I mentioned you because it's only been a few months. But it's the same kononia there. It's no different. It's no different. Because it's the Spirit of God that produces it in us. In us. Itei, 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 itei.
Would you like that kind of relationship with other people? How do you get it? Phytonexia. You got to hang out together. You got to be with one another. The Spirit of God produces kononia in the ecclesia. You've learned more Greek today than you could ever, ever imagine. Phytonexia produces kononia in the ecclesia with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen?